been sightings, unexplainable to the human reason. Some have sensed these spirits, but have kept these encounters as untold stories. Ghosts, angels, demons. We've heard of these unexplainable events, an experience we hope to never have. Things that can only be known as the paranormal. Hey, uh, we are in the middle of a series called Paranormal. And I know that there may be some in the room, you're here, you're visiting, and so today you're kind of dropping in on a conversation that we've been having about is the paranormal real and does stuff really happen that can't be explained by science and other stuff? And, the, and we, our answer has been absolutely. There is a whole other realm uh, that you and I experience and that is there and you and I need to be aware of. Now here's the thing I want to say out loud, especially if you're visiting today. Today is probably the heaviest conversation that we're going to have in the entire series. And so there's a chance you're going to go, okay, woo, these guys are whacked, okay? You're joining a conversation midway through. And you get that sometimes when you do that, you go, whoa, 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 I, I, how did this conversation get to there? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. If you're joining today and if all of a sudden you go, well, I, I'm, I'm not sure how they came to those conclusions, I'm not sure how they decided that, would you go back and watch the first two messages? Would you go back and, and hear the conversation from the beginning? Because here's what we discovered. On week number one, we discovered that the paranormal is absolutely real. Uh, it is true, and a matter of fact, the reality is that you and I have a very real enemy called Satan, and he is not a concept, he's not a Greek myth, he's not some abstract force, he is a very real personage whose absolute desire is to mess your life up. And he is looking to find weakness in you and vulnerability and to exploit that and to literally destroy you. Because, you ready? Because he absolutely hates God and he absolutely hates you. And then we came back last week and we talked about this whole idea of, hey, is it possible to kind of contact the paranormal? You know, can I, can I get a hold of Uncle Fred, you know, and have him tell me what the other side is like or have that conversation with Uncle Fred that I forgot to have while Uncle Fred was still alive? Is that possible? Is it possible for you and I to have these kind of paranormal uh, conversations? And what we found last week is this. You may end up in a conversation but it's not Uncle Fred you're talking to. That scripture is absolutely clear to say Uncle Fred does not come back to have conversations with you and me. That a person, once they die, either goes to heaven or to hell, and that they don't come back to meet with us and to have visits. And God is not involved in your conversation with Uncle Fred, which leaves you and I with only two alternatives. Either when you and I go get our palms read or we go to a seance or we uh, have a crystal ball experience, when that happens, it's possible that it's just a fake, that that person doesn't have any power, doesn't have any contact, and they're, they're just trying to make a quick buck on you, which at the end then goes, well, why? You know, why would you waste your time and your money and your effort? Or the other is that you really are 
penetrating and becoming involved in the supernatural. But if it's not fake, if it's not God, and if it's not Uncle Fred, then you and I are left with only one alternative if it's real. And that is that you and I have made contact with the demonic. And that you and I have just stepped into incredibly dangerous territory in our lives. This week, we're going to come back and ask the question, what about demon possession? Is, de- is demon possession real? I mean, could, could that happen? Or, or is that just kind of something that happened hundreds of years ago, or maybe it's kind of some Bible story-ish stuff? Or, or is that something that only happens on the mission field, you know, in farthest, darkest jungles of Africa? Does that stuff still happen today? And then could it happen in America? Is that a possibility? And we're just going to kind of unpack that a little bit today and just see where Scripture takes us. So uh, here's the deal. Grab your Bibles real quick. And we'll dive right in. It's Matthew chapter 8. If you're not real familiar, if you go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of Matthew. It's the beginning of what we call the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John are the stories of the life of Jesus. Now, here's the question. Is demon possession possible in 21st century America? And here's the answer. Yes. You bet your bottom dollar. Absolutely. So grab your Bibles. Here we go. It's Matthew chapter 8. And here, let me just say this out loud. You want to bring your Bibles uh, as we say, especially when we're in a topic of this magnitude. Because here's the deal. You want to be sure that the conversation that we have is absolutely scriptural. Who cares what my opinion is? Who cares what Lynn thinks? When you and I get to tough topics, we need to hold them up and examine them by the Word of God. So bring your Bibles, okay? And, and look, look, I get it. I get that some of you have them on, on your iPhones. That's okay. Just put the app on that sounds like pages turning because that makes me feel better, okay? So do that, but bring your Bibles. Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 28, okay? This is a moment. This is a moment in which Jesus has an encounter with two demon-possessed men, okay? It's Matthew chapter uh, 8, starting in verse 28. Here's what it says about that moment. It says, when he, talking about Jesus Christ, when he arrived on the other side of the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. What do you want from us, son of God, they shouted. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Scripture is clear, and here's what they're referring to, that there's coming an end of this age. There's coming a moment when all will stand in judgment, and and also the demons will be judged at that time. But right now, they've been given liberty. They've been given freedom to affect this world that you and I live in. But then they will be permanently bound. That's what they're referring to. They're saying, hey, wait a minute, Jesus. You're breaking the rules. We're supposed to have the opportunity to do what we want to do right now. We know that eventually judgment's coming. We know that we're defeated. But right now, we have opportunity. Have you come to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. Then Jesus said to them, go. 
So they came out and they went into the pigs and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off. You think? I ain't watching pigs any longer. I'm going home, okay? They went into the town. They reported all this, okay, probably to the owner of the pigs, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. We watched these guys get freed. And when the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So it, it's pretty, they're freaked out. They're going, look, I, whoa, wow, this is just, this is, this is supernatural. This is beyond anything we understand. This is beyond anything we can control. So Jesus looked, just, we, we heard there's another town down the street that needs a prophet. You know, go, you, you can go there. Or maybe they're just upset about the loss of income. I don't know, but they, they're ready for Jesus to move on. Now, here's what you need to get from the passage. All through the New Testament, all through the story of Jesus, it talks time and time and time again about Jesus' encounters with the supernatural. Conversations like these with demons, moments in which he's expelling demons from people who have been possessed by demons. And and I'm just going to say to you that if you have any struggle with this, as a Christ follower, go back and read the Gospels again. Read the story of Jesus because over and over and over again, it affirms that the demonic is real and that people can be possessed by the demonic. It's all over Scripture. I don't know why churches don't talk about this or deal with this because to ignore it is to ignore huge portions of the Bible. Okay. Here's the second thing. Because maybe you're here and you go, well, you know, I'm, I'm not sure, and maybe the Bible doesn't, you know, maybe the Bible's just, you know, taking things that happened and trying to give explanations for, you know, earthly things or things that, you know, were more scientific in nature, and maybe, 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 maybe it's just an exaggeration. Here's what you need to know as you're processing and maybe struggling with that. You realize that there are secular people, in other words, people who have no contact with Christ, who don't believe in Jesus, who aren't reading their Bibles, who will come and say, we encountered something. And we're just going to tell you that this was so supernatural, this was so beyond anything we know how to explain that our only conclusion, even though we're not Christ followers, we're not Christians, is that we encountered something dark, something demonic. Matter of fact, uh, here's a news article. Uh, it actually comes uh, out of the, uh, uh, the Star. Um, it's a, an account that happened last January um, about a mother who actually had some children uh, who were being terrorized. Here, here's the story. Uh, it says, a terrified mother claims uh, that she watched in horror as her demon-possessed nine-year-old son walked backwards up a wall and a ceiling. She claim, the claims would be easily dismissed if child services caseworkers and a nurse weren't reportedly there and witnessed it all. So you get what's happening. There's been reports that something abnormal is going on in this room. CPS, Child Protective Services, has sent caseworkers out to investigate. They think they're going to remove the children because they think there's been child abuse in the home. And while they're there observing, it happens. LaToya Ammons claims that all three of her children show signs of being possessed, including evil smiles and strangely deep voices. 
The Indianapolis Star reports, the mother says that she also witnessed her 12-year-old daughter levitating in their Gary, Indiana home. And when you read the article a little further, there's a, there's a story that comes out about how they were all in the living room, they heard the daughter call out, they go into the room, and here's the daughter levitating above the bed. And you realize, guys, these are people who are not Christ followers who are saying, we encountered something that you can't explain naturally. We touched the paranormal, and it was dark. Strangely enough, the scary-sounding incident is outlined in official, official documents. Further, Gary Police Captain Charles Austin told the Star that he is a believer, not a believer in Christ, in a believer that these events absolutely occurred. After making several visits to the home and interviewing witnesses, he first thought that the family was making up stories as a part of a get-rich-quick scheme. Ammon's home was exercised by a Catholic priest uh, in a number of ceremonies that were reportedly authorized by the Diocese of Gary. The story apparently became so believable that officers with the police department said they were too scared to stay at the house and some city officials would not even step foot on the property. The 32-year-old mother says that the spirits that haunted her family's house were only vanquished after she moved away and underwent several exorcisms. The unbelievable story has come to light after the Indianapolis Star obtained hundreds, 800 to be exact, pages of official documents relating the case. So God, you've got secular people, people who are not coming at this from a Christian worldview or not trying to interpret moments from the Bible who are saying, here's something that happened in our home that cannot be explained by natural phenomenon. Somewhere we touched the paranormal and it was darkness. How would you know? How would you know if you were dealing with somebody who was actually demon-possessed? I mean, what, what would the symptoms be like? What would be the telltale signs? And it's interesting because Scripture actually describes some of them for me. So uh, here they are. Uh, the Bible says that people who are demon-possessed often have convulsions. Matter of fact, this is Mark chapter 1, verse 26. It's Luke chapter 4, verse 35. It's chapter 9, verse 42 that there is often falling or slamming their bodies either against the floor or against other objects to cause self-harm. That's Matthew chapter 17, verse 15. That there's stretched and disjointed body movements. Mark chapter 9, verse 18. Sometimes there's deformity. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 11. And chances are the deformity is muscles that have been overly tensed and contorted out of uh, their normal position. Foaming at the mouth, Mark chapter 9, verse 18, Luke chapter 9, verse 39. Shrieking and screaming, Mark chapter 1, verse 26, Acts chapter 8, verse 7. Demons speaking. In other words, you're hearing voices come from that person that have no business coming out of that person. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 34. It's Acts chapter 16, verse 17. Superhuman strength. Mark chapter 5, verse 4, Acts chapter 19, verse 16. Lunacy. In other words, there is just something completely whacked out about this person. And here, here's what you need here's, you hear me say. We are not talking about mental illness. See, mental illness is absolutely valid. It's absolutely real. 
mental handicaps are real. In the very same way that a person can be born without a finger, a person can be born with, with their brain not completely formed or in the right uh, mode. There, there can be chemical imbalances. And so we're not, we're, I'm not saying that a bit. Matter of fact, here's what you need to me say. 999 times out of 1,000, mental illness is simply that it is mental illness. This is a moment in which someone says, look, this, this is not, this is something beyond that. I had a, a psychologist a few years back bring me a lady to pray with and to talk to, and she just said, look, in all of my years of practice, in every, I mean, I, I have never seen this, and I don't know what it is. This is something beyond the medical condition. And then uh, finally, nakedness. Uh, there seems to be a propensity for those in demonic possession to become naked and run around. It's Mark chapter 5, verse 15. It's Acts chapter 19, verse 16. In my lifetime, I've had two incidents where I met people who I am absolutely convinced to this day were demon-possessed. I have a third moment that I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if that was what was going on or if it was something. I don't know on the third incident. But I can tell you the first time happened when I was 16. I'd gone to Bible camp uh, with my youth group. We'd come home from camp. My youth pastor offered to take me out for a cup of coffee. So me and one of my friends have gone to Denny's and we're having a cup of coffee. We get done talking and uh, I head outside. I let my youth pastor Wayne uh, pay for uh, what we'd eaten because I was a mooch. And uh, so now I'm outside and there happens to be a man lay, er, sitting on a uh, bus bench and he says to me, hey, do you have any money uh, that you can spare? And I didn't because I was a mooch. And uh, so I pulled a Peter on him. I said, hey, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. And so I started witnessing to this guy. And I started telling him the story of Jesus and how he could have Jesus in his heart. Something began to happen in the midst of that conversation. And I watched as his jaw would drop down and, and hinge to the side. And guys, I'm talking about so far over you would swear the thing was completely disjointed and popped back into place. I watched his arms and his hands begin to convulse. And my first pass, guys, my first pass this guy has burned his brain on drugs. You gotta remember, this is the 70s. And so I'm just thinking, okay, it's LSD. You know, the guy has just cooked his brain. That's what's going on in this guy's life. And so I continue to witness and to share the story of Jesus with him. The part that suddenly began to start clicking in my mind was that every time I said the name of Jesus Christ, that's when the convulsions occurred. And so I began to talk about Jesus dying on the cross and shedding his blood for the forgiveness of sins. And by the time I got done, this guy is now laying prostrate on the bench and in full-blown seizure and, and convulsions going on. In the meantime, my youth pastor walks out. So, okay, I, I'm a 16-year-old kid. I get it. My youth pastor, who's in his mid-30s, Wayne, walks out, sees this moment. And rather than going, Lynn, whoa, you're whacked out. What are you doing with the poor man whose brain is fried on drugs? What He's seeing the moment, seeing the conversation, seeing the man's reaction and the convulsions, immediately says, dude, you're demon-possessed. 
And we began to hold a whole conversation with this guy saying, hey, you know, tell us your name and the power of Jesus Christ. You, we said to him, you are demon possessed. I'm just gonna say, look, look, if you and I were having a conversation and it got so bad that I looked at you and said, you're demon possessed, you'd probably tell me I was whacked out. I'm, I'm just telling you, he took it all. In the process of it, we were asking, we're saying, hey, what, what's your name? And uh, it was interesting all through the conversation, he was screaming back at us, he'd say, it isn't that it isn't, it isn't that it isn't. We, we finally got to a place where we said, okay, we're, we're done here. We hop in the car, we are freaked out of our brains. We're like, ah! We drive to my pastor's house at three o'clock in the morning. Ah! Get him out of bed, ah! you know. Here's two interesting things from that conversation. I told you that as we had the conversation, as we were saying to the man, hey, tell us your name, and the power of Jesus, tell us your name. Over and over and over again, he screamed, it isn't that it isn't. I thought he was denying the gospel. I thought he was saying, hey, you're just full of baloney. As we were midway to my pastor's house, we said, wait a minute. When Moses asked God what his name was, how did God respond? I am that I am. And this guy was screaming, it isn't, that it isn't. A second thing that I thought was pretty interesting in the conversation is that midway through this whole thing, he just blurts out of nowhere, are you guys homosexual? <laughs> now, here's what immediately came to mind. It's a little bit of a side note, but here's what came to my mind. About two or three months before this, I had gone to a, one of our church's garage sales. And while we were there, because I'm a 16-year-old kid and I'm just messing around, I put on a dress that they were selling at the garage sale. And the dress had falsies in it. So now I put on the dress and the problem was it looked authentic. So a couple of the kids that were there in the youth group took pictures of it and just to give me a hard time, blew up this massive poster of this. And uh, I had hung it in uh, my bedroom. I am telling you that night, four in the morning, I go home, I'm burning the poster. Here's the interesting thing, though, years later. I later discovered that my youth pastor, Wayne, who had been there with me, as he later in his life rebelled against God, became involved in homosexuality to the point that he actually became a homosexual prostitute and eventually died of AIDS. And come to find he had struggled with this area of his life his entire life. I think it's interesting that the demon knew his weakest point. They knew the place in which he was gonna be most vulnerable. And, and I'm just gonna say to you guys out loud, look, you don't, you don't want to be anywhere near. You don't wanna be anywhere around that level of darkness. You just don't, you don't. And the second caution is simply this, your enemy, your enemy knows your biggest flaw, your biggest weakness, the place in your life that you are most likely to turn your back on God. He already knows, and his plan is to eventually find a way to leverage that against you. Second question, how? I mean, how would someone become demon-possessed? I mean, how does this even occur in, in somebody's life? And remember when we talked last week about this idea of a hedge. Matter of fact, out of uh, the book of Job, it's very clear that God says, look, there's a hedge of protection, 
and that you and I, as long as we stay on the right side of that hedge of protection, Satan's influence in our lives is greatly limited. The problem comes when we make decisions, and we said, this is why it's so dangerous to get involved with Ouija boards. This is why it's so dangerous to have someone read your palm or to do tarot cards, because what you're doing in that moment is you're saying, I am willing to make contact with something other than God in order to get my information. I'm willing to delve in the supernatural knowing that God can't possibly be involved in what I'm getting involved in. And that in those moments, as we step outside the hedge, we suddenly expose ourselves to such greater influence to the demonic, to the satanic. And it's just absolutely dangerous. Now, here's what you got to get. You, you don't take one step out and suddenly become demon-possessed. You don't go to one seance or play with the Ouija board once and then all of a sudden, Wah! you don't go to a Black Sabbath concert and come home demon-possessed. It doesn't, that's not what happens. Here's what happens. When you and I, in that moment of absolute disobedience and rebellion, when you and I say, look, I don't care what God says, I don't care that I'm making contact with something that probably isn't God, I don't care. And now I knowingly make the decision to move away from God, and I place myself outside the hedge. You realize you've just exposed yourself and told Satan where your biggest argument with God is. Hey, God, I was following you, and I didn't feel like I was being successful, so I'm going to look for another power source. God, I was, I was praying to you, and I didn't feel like you were answering my questions. Now I'm looking for new information. And you and I step out and in that moment expose ourselves. And Satan knows exactly the area that you and I are now most susceptible. How many of you fish? Okay, like four of us. So this will be a great illustration. Everybody will understand. You get that a fisherman does not care what the fish bite on. Matter of fact, the first hour of fishing is usually figuring out what the fish are biting that day. He doesn't care if it's a worm. He doesn't care if it's one of those squiggly rubber things. He doesn't care if it's one of the little spinny shiny. He doesn't care. But once he figures out what it is the fish want, that's what he's going to keep tossing in the water. You realize that when you and I step outside of God's protection, Satan immediately begins to say, what is it you want? What do I have to leverage to lure you into deeper darkness? What do I have to give you to move you further away from God? And he'll do that. It's why a lot of people who get involved in Wiccan and witchcraft and all that believe initially that they are in control because Satan goes, well, no, I'll give you power. I'll, I'll give you information people don't. I'll, I'll do whatever I have to do to lure you further away. And here's the question, how far away do you have to get? How many steps do you have to take before you're like a child who's found themselves in the deep end of the pool and your feet are no longer touching and you're doing everything you can to tread water? How far away do you have to get till you cross the line and now place yourself either in demonic possession or oppression? I don't know. I don't know. It's why I'll never go there. I don't want to know how far away you have to get to get yourself in that much trouble.
Here would be my other caution to you. If you have something in your life and you're just not sure whether that thing is appropriate for you as a Christian, okay, I'm just going to say to you, don't have it in your life. Don't. Don't. I don't care if it's Kachina dolls. I don't care if it's hypno. I don't care what it is. If you're not completely positive, and I don't know this answer, guys. I don't know if hypnosis is right or, I don't know. I don't, I don't, the Bible doesn't say. And you know that Kachina dolls are actually little dolls dressed up in the outfits that the Indians used in order to contact the supernatural. You get that, right? So does having one in my house, I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not telling you that it does. I'm just telling you that because you don't know, you probably should stay away. And guys, look, you're not hearing this from a scaredy cat, okay? I, I, I have parachuted out of perfectly good airplanes. I have bungee jumped. I have rock climbed. When I go to, when I go to Six Flags Over Texas, I ride every roller coaster twice. My retirement right now is in an account marked aggressive, okay? I am not a scaredy cat. I'm just telling you, if you have any doubt, don't. It's not worth the potential fallout. Stay away. Here's the next question. Can a Christian become demon-possessed? Can a Christian become demon-possessed? And here's the answer. No. Start my beating heart again. No. Christians cannot become demon-possessed. Okay? Here's, here's why I'm pretty confident about this. Number one is simply this. You cannot find me a, sim, a single example in Scripture where a demon can inhabit a Christian. You can't find me one. Because apparently it doesn't happen. The second is this. Apparently, when God is living in your life, which is what happens the minute you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, there is no room for Satan to live there also. There's no opportunity for him to have that control. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles real, real quick. It's Romans chapter 8, so it's going to be to the right in your Bible. Romans chapter 8. You're going to want this one, guys. So go there. Here we go. Romans chapter 8. Verse 38, here's what it says. Romans chapter 8, verse 38. If you closed your Bibles, go to the back, work to the left. Here's what it says. I am convinced that neither death nor life, pretty big things, neither, next word, angels or demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And it seems to be saying there, hey guys, once you're in Jesus, you're protected. You're protected. But here's the other shoe down. A Christian cannot become demon-possessed, but you can be oppressed. In other words, a Christian can jump the hedge and can get so far into darkness, so far away from God, that Satan's influence in their life looks like possession. In other words, they can be hearing all sorts of voices, stuff can be happening, they can be seeing ghosts. They aren't possessed, they're not a puppet, 
They're not inhabited, but there's so much demonic influence in their lives that all sorts of demonic things are happening in their lives, which is why, you ready for this, guys? That even if you have God in your life, you have no business on this side of the hedge. No business in this level of darkness. Stay away, stay away, stay away. Last question. Do Christians have power over demons? In other words, do you and I have authority over the demonic? And guys, you and I need to land this conversation because this is a part where Christians are so messed up. See, there's, there's Christians running around there like they're the Incredible Hulk or like Steve Austin of the spiritual world. And that they can just tell demons uh, what to do. So here's the question. Do Christians have power and authority over demons? And here's the answer. You ready? No, yes. No, yes. Let me, let me see if I can explain that. You in and of yourselves do not have the power. Matter of fact, there's an interesting passage in the book of Jude where the archangel Michael is having an argument with Satan. Now think about this for a minute. It's Michael the archangel, which means because he's an angel, he's stronger than you and me because you get in the whole realm of supernatural. God and Satan, demons and angels, you and I are the weakest in that realm. So here's Michael, an archangel, having an argument with Satan. And in the midst of the argument, Michael does not say to Satan, hey, look, you and me, angel to angel, I'm taking you down. Instead, here's what he says to Satan. The Lord rebuke you. He's saying, look, I'm, I'm not taking you on one-on-one. -on -one. That's not, I'm saying God handle you. What does that mean to you that an archangel wouldn't take Satan on one-on-one? -on -one? It's a big deal. And you just need to know that you do not have the power, you do not, to wrestle one-on-one. -on -one. But... As a balancing factor of that, you realize that Jesus gave the disciples authority over demons and authority to cast them out. Matter of fact, it's Luke chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, and it says Jesus sent out the disciples and, and gave them authority, gave them power over the demonic. But here's what you've got to get in the moment. It was not their power, it was his power. Which means that you and I, whenever we're dealing with them, have to be absolutely dependent on him and not on anything within ourselves. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles one last time. Let's go to a real quick passage because I think it sheds light on this topic. It's Matthew, actually Mark, Mark chapter 9. It's an interesting story in Scripture. It's Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 17. Could somebody just like turn their pages so I feel you're just, all right, all right. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. Here's what, it, listen to this story because it's really, really hits the nail on the head. Here we go. And when they came together, a man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who was possessed by a spirit that was robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him on the ground. Sound familiar? He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. 
Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit uh, saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been this way? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him, but if you can do anything, take pity on us. If you can, Jesus asked. He said, you're wondering if I have this authority. You're wondering if I have this authority. If I can, Jesus said, Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. And the boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, ready, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive him out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. Watch what Jesus is teaching. Jesus is saying, look, 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 in and of yourself, you don't have the power to do this. In and of yourself, you don't have the strength. You needed to be in prayer because here's what happens in prayer. When you pray, you begin to confess. You begin to say, look, 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 God, no, no, I know I shouldn't have said that. I know that was an ill, I know I lied about that. And you begin to clean up your life. There's no way to be in the presence of God in prayer and not begin to start feeling convicted about what you've been doing in your life. It's just the power of prayer. And so prayer moves you and me back to the center of God's will. And here's what you need to know. The center of God's will is when you and I have strength. When you and I are living our lives in absolute obedience to him, that's when we are the strongest. Let me see if this helps. I've got a dear friend. He goes out doing paintball for the very first time in his life. He gets there and they're all lined up getting ready to go out. They're explaining the rules. It's obvious by the way he's holding the gun and doesn't know which end is which that he's, it's his first time. There's a veteran paintballer there who sees him, says to him, first time? My friend says, yeah, is it that obvious? Yeah. He says, I'll tell you what, stick with me this first game. He looks over at this guy and he's got like one of those like super powered, revved up, huge air tank, little finger gun. He's got, he's got the decked out gun. They pick up teams, they go out to fight. They're playing capture the flag. If you're not familiar, you, one team has a flag at one end, one team has a flag at the other end. You try to shoot as many people as you can, steal their flag. So they're out there paintballing and he's kind of hanging with this veteran guy and he's watching because there's paintballs flying all over the place. And this veteran guy is popping up going, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Just knocking guys off left and right. He finally turns to my friend and he says, the flag is right over there. You're going to jump up, run to the flag and grab it. 
my friend looks at him and says, this is not a good idea. There's at least seven guys still alive on the other team. And the minute I jump up and run to the flag, they're going to mow me down with a thousand paintballs. The veteran guy says to him, trust me. On the count of three, my friend jumps up, begins to sprint toward the flag. Sure enough, six guys jump up from cover to nail my friend. And the veteran goes, they're all dead. My friend gets to the flag, grabs the flag, victory! They go back. It's time to choose up teams again. Guess what my friend says? I don't care what team you put me on, I'm with him. That's exactly what Jesus is teaching here. You want to be with him. When you're in that moment of having to deal with the enemy and deal with darkness, be close to him. Which is why, are you ready for this, guys? We've got some Christians and you haven't breached, but you're living your life in absolute, you, you know. You know you've been disobedient. <laughs> you, you know you've said, hey, God, I, I don't care what you say about living with my girlfriend. I, I'm going to do it anyways. And God, no, 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 I, I don't like what you say about drugs and alcohol, and I, I don't like what you say about gossip. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in a place of disobedience. I'm not, I'm not jumping the hedge, I'm not doing seances, I'm just, I'm living out of the center of your will. I'm just telling you, you're dumb. You, you realize the enemy is gonna look for any opportunity to get into your life. We, we've got Christians in this room and you, you've already gone into some darkness you know you shouldn't have gone into. And I'm just going to tell you, the best place to be is with him. Get back. Get as close as you can. It's where your power is. There are non, you just haven't figured out God, it's okay, I get it. But today you're going, man, I, there's two teams. And I think I'm on the wrong team. Move as close to him as you can. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we, we get it. The paranormal is real. The enemy is real. And it's just crazy for us to flirt on the edges. It's, it's insane for us to play this like it was a game. And so God, we, I just ask in this room, would you move Christians who have lived up until this moment saying, God, I'm smarter than you and I'm better than you. And, and, and they would say, look, I, I haven't consulted any Ouija boards. I haven't, I haven't gone to a palm reader, but I know I know I'm living in rebellion. I know I'm living away from the center of God's will for my life. I know that that puts me in a place of exposure to the enemy. And that he's just waiting. He's waiting for a moment to leverage my weakness into his advantage, to get me to the other side of God's protection. And I'm just choosing today to move back. Get as close as I can to God and to his power and his strength for my life. I'm, I'm done with my disobedience. 
God, I pray for Christians who maybe would say, no, no, I, I have. I know I've jumped the hedge. I know, I know I'm living out in darkness. I know I'm living out in just blatant, blatant rebellion against God. And I know where I'm at is enemy territory. God, I pray for people who've never experienced God in their life but would say, I, I get it. I get that there's two teams and I'm monkeying with the wrong team. That today would be the day that they would come running back say, man, I, I just need God in the center of my life. I got business to do today. I, I've been messing where I had no business messing, and I'm coming home. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.